looking at Genesis 39. It's a, it's a famous passage. Potiphar's wife, uh, a little bit of a, a struggle between Joseph and her, and uh, it's well known. And it definitely comes off the back of a lesser well-known passage. Uh, Sam did Genesis 38 last week, and if you guys remember, he mentions of all the chapters in the Bible, Genesis 38 is in the top five ones you don't want to preach on. Well, Potiphar's wife, Genesis 39, is one of the ones everyone wants to preach on. It's, it's, there's a lot of material on it, and I think the reason why is because this chapter is so relatable. Here's a guy who's going through a hard time, and he's feeling the pressure of the world. If we can't relate to that, well, I don't know what we can relate to. And so we're going to crack into that, starting in verse 1 of chapter 39. And it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites. He had taken him there. The law was with Joseph, Joseph so, that he pros- so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendants. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph, Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of her house, She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak inside, sorry, beside me, and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave has treated me. He burned with anger. Uh, oh gosh, I just lost it. Joseph's master took him and put him in a prison, the, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all, he had, all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave, gave him success in whatever he did. A great passage. Let's have a quick prayer, and then we can maybe try to find a few points from this compelling story. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, yeah, I thank you, Lord, that you give us real characters who struggle with real things. So, uh, people we can relate to and identify with. And yeah, I pray, Lord, that the examples that Potiphar's wife and Joseph give us in this text, Lord, can convict us and resonate us with us in the deepest possible way. Uh, Lord, I pray the pray Spirit can move uh, between each of us here today, Lord, convicting our hearts and guiding us in the right way, and that we can really learn what it means to be a child of you, Lord. And that reality of our new identity can sink in deeply. I love you. Amen. Amen. So I have a few points from this passage, okay? And those points I have here is, first of all, we've we got to recognize there's a pitfall of power. Everyone, when reading or even thinking about this passage, they think immediately of the sexual temptation of Potiphar essentially trying to lure uh, Joseph in to commit adultery. But we're going to recognize that before the adultery is ever tempted, there's a different temptation behind the scenes, and that's the temptation of power. And we see here two very different ways of using power. The way in which Potiphar's wife uses it, and of course the way that Joseph chooses to use his power as well. And next I want to look at what it means to be a selfless servant. Because that contrast is so powerful, sometimes it can feel like, well, how, how do I be like Joseph? How do I have that day-to-day -day resilience against sin? It's not easy, but we see his identity, the way he sees himself, is that of a selfless servant. And we're going to uh, kind of unpack that a little bit. And finally, to kind of package the whole thing, we're going to look at how his, God's presence, is our presence. A presence as in gifts. His presence is our presence. Because you'll notice here, everything is framed in this chapter by the fact that God is still around. God is still working from the moment Joseph is in the highest position of Potiphar's household to the point where he is in prison. We see that parallel. So let's take a quick look here at the pitfall of power. Now power is a huge thing, not just in this chapter, but throughout the entire, entire Bible, right? We see so many different people manipulate power, use power. We can we start to think to ourselves, well, power is an intrinsically bad thing. But hopefully if you're thinking that, you kind of balance that with the idea of well, God is the ultimate power. And God is not a bad thing. Power is neutral. Power is not in itself a bad thing. It's how power is yielded, how power is used, which determines whether it is positive or negative. And we get a, a, an immediate example of a negative use of power here in the form of Potiphar's wife. She is very negative. I mean, look at the fact here in verse 6 to 7. It says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. And I think that that phrase in the NIV, come to bed with me, doesn't quite do it justice. Because the original Hebrew is just two words. If you were to translate it more accurately, it'd be something closer to sex, now. <laughs> That's essentially what she says to Joseph. There's two imperatives. She wants it and she wants it now. And you can immediately see that there is a power discrepancy. She's in charge and her expectation is that she will get what she wants. Now, I don't think what she wants is purely pleasure. I think that's too simplistic of a viewpoint of Potiphar's wife. And we'll unpack exactly what she's looking for a little bit later in the sermon. But what I want to point out here is that this is not new. This pattern has played out again and again throughout Genesis. Even last week, Judah and Tamar. Judah manipulates sexual kind of uh, availability to, to impact Tamar. We see with all the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We see it with their wives. 
yielding their position, their power, and using sex as a tool. Using something which is precious and good, something God has designed as a tool for self-gratification. And they completely reduce it, but it's not new. And when we first see it, we see it in Genesis. Genesis 3, verse 6. This is where the pattern originates. It says that when the woman, Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She looks, she sees it is pleasing, and she takes. That's the sequence. That's it. And it's an animalistic urge. If I want, I will take. And that's exactly what we see Potiphar's wife doing. And it's, it's, it's such, a, it's such a, a, a mentality which is not unique at all to then and there. We, we sometimes hear this idea that, that the Bible in general is an archaic text. It's so separate from us because of the cultural difference, because of the time difference. The reality is, is our world so different to that? And how does our world, our modern world, view sex? It's a tool for self-gratification. It's there to make me feel good. It's there to, essentially, they are a tool for something I can gain. And I was looking at some uh, statistics, and, uh, sorry, some statistics, and apparently, I mean, I don't know, According to this website, at least 4 million Australians, that's a lot of Australians, right? 4 million Australians actively use Tinder. A, 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 a dating app specifically for reducing the act of sexual intimacy to just a pure kind of uh, uh, circumstantial interaction and exchange of goods, essentially. And that doesn't account for the rest of the social media, right? It doesn't account for the rest of our culture's immersion in sexual perversion. Day in, day out. We see videos, we see photos, we have conversations, we see people dressed in certain ways. And all of it's there to reduce something good and positive down to something negative, essentially. Something for self-gratification. And we're not so far removed from it, guys. We're not much, much better. And the reason why I think this is such a tragedy is because we all know that God's design for intimacy and sex is not about self-gratification. The original design, and when he creates Adam and Eve, it's about two becoming one. For two to become one, the individual must be sacrificed. The pair takes precedence over the self. And that's the type of lifestyle that God has created sex to be expressed in. In that sacred bond where two people say, I'm going to give my life completely to you. Every aspect of me, emotionally, Physically, legally, psychologically, everything I have is now, now yours. And that's the type of bond we're going to have. And sex is a natural expression of that. But what our world does, it removes all the vulnerability connected to it. And it just reduces it down to a physical act. And the reality is, that is destructive. And we see it play out in this text. It's destructive for not just Potiphar's wife but also for everyone around her, her household, her relationship with her husband, and of course, Joseph as well. So how do we avoid becoming a self-focused and destructive force ourselves? That's a good question to ask when we see again and again in Genesis, these examples of people yielding their power for self again and again. And the Bible's trying to communicate something to us. That's human nature. That's our fallenness. 
I think sometimes when we think of especially sexual sin, okay, or especially abuse of power, we can restrict it. We can say that particular sin belongs to that particular group of people. That's, that's like a man's sin, for example. No. The Bible is making it clear through a multitude of different examples, of different genders, of different <laughs> social classes, that it doesn't matter who you are, because of your fallenness, because you are a member of humanity, you will abuse it. And that can be such a negative and discouraging thought. That that's the nature of where we are. But there is hope, and that hope is found here in the example of Joseph. And so that brings me to my second point. We need to be a selfless servants. And the reason why I look at this is because it's such a, a, a juxtaposition or a contrast to the example we're given from Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's wife. I mean, look how Joseph handles uh, uh, his, his authority. I mean, he's been given immense authority. He's over all the house, but he is not corrupted. Somehow, some way, he remains pure. Like, how on earth does he do that? And it's especially incredible because when we think about it, he has a lot of reason why he should be corrupted. When you think about his circumstances, first of all, he's in charge of everything. No one else is in the house. He could get away with it. He could have yielded his power. He could have had sexual intimacy with Potiphar's wife and there would have been no immediate repercussions. No tangible physical ones at least. He could have gotten away with it. Uh, second of all, he is a slave. I mean, as we notice in the Bible in Genesis, slaves treated pretty abhorrently, okay? That's not unusual. If you're a slave, then you should probably expect to be abused to some degree. I think even in his mind, they're thinking, well, this is just a slave-master relationship. This is just how it is. I think normality of something, or having the idea or the notion, at least other people are doing it, can justify in your minds. I think every evening when I, um, I come home, Pam always wants an ice cream. Always. And she, not always, okay, often. <laughs> That's the word. But she'll feel a sense of guilt. She won't want to eat the ice cream unless I eat the ice cream. I participate. And so sometimes it comes to tug of war. I don't really want an ice cream, but I want to you know, honor my wife, okay? And so I deny myself, okay? And I myself have an ice cream. But it's a sense of, well, if someone else is doing it, then it removes the sting of it. I'm sure that would have gone through Joseph's mind as well. Also, I mean, it could have enhanced his career. That's not an a, a uncommon notion, right? Sleep my way to the top. Me having an intimate relationship with the master's wife is dangerous. Oh my gosh, that could be a heck of an asset later on. Also because of the fact that it's in his blood. It's in his blood. Everyone he knows back home, Judah, Reuben, his ancestors, his grandfather, all of them seem to have a pretty flexible opinion about how to be sexually intimate, about how to yield power. People are like, well, this is just who I am. This is what everyone else is doing. This is what I should do. And, and really, the, the two most convicting ones, I feel at least, the ones that I find resonate with me the most when I come to, I guess, being tempted by sin, first of all, I think maybe I'm actually being helpful. Maybe this is beneficial some way. And I can buy into the lie that I'm, I, I'm actually twisting something which is negative and think, well, this is, this is a need of mine. I have to meet that need. Surely God understands. 
I'm sure even in his mind he thought, well, maybe I'm doing Potiphar's wife a favor here. And she has a high-powered business husband. He's not giving enough attention. I, I, I got to pick up the slack. I got to help her out. Or maybe, this is what I find most, that resonates most with me, what you gotta understand, he's been hurt. He's been rejected, he's been betrayed, and he's been absolutely thrown through the ringer. And in that moment when we feel totally dejected emotionally, I feel like that's when we are most vulnerable to temptation. He's been cast out by his family, he's a slave. Well, only a short time ago, he was honored and lifted up by his father. But that's not what goes through Joseph's mind. He doesn't fall into those excuses. He doesn't fall into that trap of trying to rationalize sin. And the reason, the reason why he doesn't fall into those excuses is because he's able to recognize the purpose and the origin of his authority. What Potiphar's wife says, that authority belongs to me. Joseph does not operate in such a way. In verse 8 to 9, it says, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. He knows merely the purpose of his authority isn't about self. Yeah. It isn't about self. Think of the two, the, the two things he mentions in that short paragraph. First of all, he mentions his master. Second of all, he mentions the household which has been entrusted to him. Two things. His thought process when he faces temptation isn't the thing about self. What can I receive from this? He thinks, how will this decision impact the world around me? How will this damage my relationships, those people who depend on me? Because of the fact that he runs a household of one of the most powerful men in Egypt. One of the most powerful nations in the world. Does that guy, does Potiphar have a small household? Absolutely not. This guy has families. He has workers. He has slaves. He has a multitude of people who depend on Joseph's ability to manage that household. And Joseph knows it. Joseph knows that if I do this selfish, sinful act, I'm going to hurt people who I am not even remotely aware of. Who I, I, I can't even fathom to see the ripple effect of the sin. But the reality is, that's, that's how sin works. That's how sin works. It blinds us, guys. I was reading Proverbs 7 recently. It describes the, the man who's led away by the adulterous woman as an ox being led to the slaughter. As an animal. The ox does not know where it's going. It gets caught up in the moment. So let's go for a quick walk. But the reality is, it leads to destruction. It leads to death. In the same way, guys, we got to step back. When we're tempted, when we're forced into a position where we're feeling the pressure of sin, whether it be external or internal, we have to be willing to step back and look at the ramifications that has. I mean, even consider adultery. I mean, adultery, what, what kind of impact does that have on a wife or a husband? Knowing that your, your spouse has cheated on you. And that's emotional suffering and, and absolutely uh, uh, dejection, which is hard to quantify. 
And that leads to extreme consequences. And if you think about how that resonates or impacts children of a, of a, of a, a parental group who are split up, and that those children are going to grow up with a, a viewpoint of what intimate relationships look like, which is totally skewed. For the rest of, life, of their life, they have to battle with that understanding. Because their parents, in that moment, have decided to make a decision which did not account for how it impacted them. And what I would encourage you as well is not to think to yourself, well, you know what, I'm not even married, okay? I, I, you know, I'm not going to commit adultery. Because reality, Mrs. Potiphar or Mr. Potiphar, that those sexual temptations, isn't necessarily a person in our day and age. Maybe it's an image you look, like, look at online, on social media, okay? Maybe it's a, in the form of a TV show you enjoy. I know we all enjoy certain TV shows, which we know aren't necessarily beneficial. And we, we allow Satan to take a foothold in our hearts, which we don't even fully understand the ramifications it will have down the track. Because we start seeing sin for what it is. We've got to start seeing ourselves as oxen, okay? As animals who do not see the wider picture and be sober-minded about it, yeah? And I think he sees the purpose of his life as a servant. It's them, not me. And when he starts to think about the purpose, well, I'm going to be a blessing to those people and not just a blessing to myself, then we start to understand the covenantal kind of promise that has been given to Joseph. If you guys remember Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3, it says, God says to, to Abraham in that moment, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. I think Joseph, in this moment, he understands that he's been given a promise from God which dictates the origins of his authority and also the larger purpose for it as well. And that prevents him getting prideful. That prevents him becoming entitled. As Potiphar's wife is sex now, I want, give it to me. Joseph doesn't fall into that trap. He's able to step back and, and be humble. He's able to be others-focused, others-centric. Because he knows his authority, his power, doesn't even originate in him. Because it doesn't originate in him, it, it means that he has an obligation to pass on that blessing. Yeah. And guys, if you're here today and you're a disciple, you've got to recognize the blessing that you've been given. Amen. You are purchased out of your sin at the cost of Jesus. Amen. His entire life. And what a blessing that is. But we've got to be willing to take that blessing and let it shape the way we live and shape the way we encounter temptations in our lives. Amen? Amen. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, how do we as a people use our power? That's a hard question to answer because sometimes we wonder, what is our power? I don't have power necessarily. I'm not like Adam who's good at basketball or Byron who is really good looking. Oh, it's not here. That's a shame. Okay. But... <laughs> But we all have a certain degree of power. Yeah. And our power comes in the form of, of our money, right? It comes in the form of our time. How you choose to use your money and how you use your time will reveal who you, are, who you really are focused on. It's going to reveal who that blessing stops and begins with, essentially. Yeah. 
Because if, you, if you're someone who's living for others, who's others focused, that's going to be reflected in how you choose to live and use your time and your money as well, okay? And finally, I just want to touch on one last thing, and that's my th third and final points. And that's, we got to be willing to recognize that God's presence is our presence. It's our gift. Because if you want to know how to resist temptation, if you want to know in that moment, how do I step back and see the larger picture? How do I be others focused? You need to recognize that God is present. And that's our present. Okay? Because when we look at this, He's able to withstand day after day. That's verse 10. Day after day, he's been tempted by Potiphar's wife. But he does not give in. He does not succumb to it. And think about it. Joseph is like a 17 to 18 year old boy. My gosh, for him to have the endurance day after day to step back from sexual morality, sexual temptation, that's impressive. And the reason he does that, it's found in verse 2, verse 3, at the beginning of the chapter, and again in verse 21. It says, the Lord, or Yahweh, was with him. Interesting idea, right? The chapter is bookended by the notion, the idea, that the Lord is present. He's with him. And does Joseph know that? Absolutely. I mean, what's the chief reason he gives when he is tempted by Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife? How, could, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knows God is present, and he knows God is the chief party which he is sinning against. And that resonates on his mind. God is on his mind in that moment. And that produces two things, two quick things in the life of Joseph. First of all, it allows him to live a life of accountability. We all probably know Hebrews 4, right? The idea, we're going to give account to the, uh, one day. Or, how does it go again? Yeah. Uh, to him we must give account. The one, so nothing is, everything is laid bare to the one whom we must give account. So I was just searching the files in my mind trying to figure it out. We're going to have to give account to God one day. And that reality sinks in to, to Joseph. He could have got away with it. No one else was present. But because he knows God is present, because he knows God is the one I need to give account to, then that allows him to essentially prevent, prevent himself sinning even when no one else is present. Even when he can get away with it. Because we, we, can, we can sin behind closed doors when it's dark and no one else is looking. And if your mind says, I'm accountable to people, that will not stop. But if you recognize that you are accountable to God, that is a radical change and would immensely uh, 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 impact the way you view temptation. And secondly, and this one's a, a little bit more, uh, I guess, abstract. You've got to really think about this one. Secondly, the fact that God is present, it, 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 it invokes a loving obedience from Joseph. A loving obedience. Because you can have a sense of, I'm going to be accountable to God, God is present. You can feel that accountability all you want. But fear is not as much of a driver, effective driver, as love is. Love is a far more effective driver. I think Joseph recognizes God is present, but God is also working through my life. He's taken me through a very challenging time. My brothers have sold me into slavery, and now I've been elevated because of God. And Joseph loves God. I think about Jacob, okay, for a moment. Take your minds back to Jacob when he was pursuing Rachel. And it says there um, in verse uh, chapter 29, verse 20, it says, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, 
but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Sometimes we think the answer to self-control is our simple white-knuckle willpower. I'm going to knuckle down and I'm going to conquer the sin on my own. Think about Jacob. Seven years of serving, do you think he didn't have the desire to quit? The desire to take a break? The desire to leave, maybe? I'm sure those desires are present. But his chief desire, the one overarching desire that he had, was his love for Rachel. And that pushes him to the point where I'm going to be totally self-controlled here because that desire arranges or orders all other desires I have. And sometimes we can think that avoiding temptations or, or conquering temptations is me suppressing my desires. I think if that's the route you're going to take, you are going to have a challenging time. The Bible says that if we want to conquer our desires, we don't need to suppress them. We need to put them in the right place. We need to reorder our desires and fully understand that our desire for God needs to be above all else. And that's exactly what we see here in Joseph. And it has a lot of connection to our life today. Because God is with us, right? Next slide, guys. We have God who came down in the flesh and died for us. And in Matthew 1, it talks about how when uh, the angels visit uh, 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 Joseph, the husband of Mary, this, this boy is going to be called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. It's a direct parallel between the Joseph story and the story of Jesus. God is with us and he has also sacrificed himself for us. He's demonstrated the ultimate form of love for us. And that is essentially the driving force which is going to allow us to overcome even the most challenging of temptations. Even the hardest moments. And what I really want to touch on here is Potiphar's wife, way back in the beginning, when, when she originally pursues, originally pursues uh, Joseph in adultery, she's not just after physical pleasure. What Timothy Keller says, and I really like this idea, he says, sexual desire is just frustrated spiritual longings. We all have a spiritual longing inside us, and often that's expressed in a corrupt, fallen way in sexual perversion. But what we really want, what Potiphar, Potiphar's wife really wants when she approaches Joseph, is that she wants a sense of acceptance. She wants a sense of vulnerability to be known, yet not to be rejected. She wants a sense of safety, of purpose, of love. She wants, she has all these spiritual longings inside her that are not being met. And I know that's what she's feeling, because when she's rejected, she has such an explosive reaction. She goes above and beyond, not because she's kind of had physical pleasure taken away from her, because when Joseph rejects her, she takes that as a strike against that deepest insecurity she has. That maybe she is not worth it. Maybe she isn't good enough. But my gosh, what she needs and what we all need is to rearrange those desires and project them onto the only person, the only being who can really satisfy them. And that's Jesus. He dies despite our, our shortcomings, despite how fallen we are. Because he loves us. He accepts us, accepts us, and he works with us. And so if we want to really overcome temptations and our hardest moments, we have to be willing 
to turn to the bread of life. Turn to the one who really satisfies our hunger, really satisfies our thirst. And so just to conclude, the three points I have here, the pitfall of power, be willing to recognize that we all have power. We have all been given something to use for the greater work of God's kingdom. But how we choose to use that will determine whether we are like Potiphar, whether we follow the Eden pattern of life, of I see, it's good, I take for self, or if we're going to be like Joseph, a selfless servant, who recognizes and considers those around him above himself. And really, if we want to be like Joseph, we need to recognize that God is present. He is with us in our hardest moments. He's working through us, and He satisfies our deepest spiritual cravings. Amen? Amen. Let's have a quick prayer, then we can fellowship. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You that You would send Your Son, Lord, to die for us despite our fallenness, and that He would give up all power and authority and become and take on the likeness of man for our sake. And Lord, I pray that the reality that you are with us in all moments, Lord, really sinks into our lives and makes us think and view temptation in a completely different way. A way in which it's not about us, Lord, or elevating self, but it's a way in which we consider other people. And we're fueled, we're fueled by that humility which your son demonstrated on the cross as well. I love you, Lord. I pray you can be working our lives throughout the week and moving us uh, as you see fit, Lord. I love you.